Amen. How are we this morning? Well, it's good to be with you. My name's Jake. I'm one of the pastors on the team here. South Campus, North Campus, online campus. Excited that you're with us. If you have your Bible, you can head over to Psalm 23 and Luke chapter 12. There's a Bible under the seat in front of you or under your seat if you need one and you're at our physical campuses. But I'm glad that you are here. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Have you ever heard that before? Even though you've heard it, don't let it skip over the surface of your mind because it's so familiar. Listen to it one more time. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Let's do this. Let's take in a deep breath and let it out slowly, okay? Because God is my shepherd, I shall not want. Repeat after me. I shall not want. Ugh, wouldn't it be awesome if this were true of us? I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if we actually lived this out? Like we lived out this fact that because God is my shepherd, there's no striving in me, there's no need in me, there's no, you know, going, 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 no hurry in me. Because God is my shepherd, I have everything I need. I have enough. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome if this were true about us? I don't know about you, but I'm just not there. I want to be. I want to be so bad. But I'm just not there, at least not completely. And in my wanting to be there, I prove my point, right? I want. I want stuff. I want money. I want privilege. I want power. I want ease and convenience. I want comfort. I want happiness. I want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Man, I want to not want so bad, don't you? Sounds so peaceful. But we're just not there. As a people, we're just not there, are we? I mean, we are so tired. We are a tired, harried, hurried, stressed out people, are we not? I mean, many of us, most of us maybe fill our lives so full of stuff, places to be, things to do, trinkets to shine, that we have no room, we have no margin. We have, and, and we not only know this, but we kind of embrace it, right? Like, Sometimes we take pride in telling people how busy our lives are, how full our lives are of stuff, games and seasons and schedules and work projects and, you know, the addition on the house and basket weaving and ferret racing. Some of you have some weird stuff that you fill your life with. But we're, we're like, eh, we're pretty proud of it, actually, that our life is full. Or maybe you're on the other side, you just think this is normal. He's like, and this is the way it's supposed to be. Of course I'm tired. Of course I haven't slept well. Of course I'm stressed out of my mind. Isn't everybody else? I mean, isn't this just the way it's supposed to be? Aren't we supposed to be this way? Of course I'm stressed out. High blood pressure, stress eating, panic attacks, apathy, depression, rampant insomnia. Isn't this the way it's supposed to be? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So, no. This is not the way we were created to function. 
but we're just so scared. Scared of not having enough. Scared of lack. We have this fear of lack and it makes us go, 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 gather, gather, gather more, more, more. And it's this fear that puts us into this never-ending race around a track. I mean, we run around the track and we pass the finish line and we just keep running. And we run back around and we blow right through the finish line. Around and around and around we go. We can't stop. We can't pause. We can't rest. Because we're not sure we've done enough. We're not sure we have enough. So we circle back around the track. We see the finish line and we think, maybe I can stop this time. Maybe I've run long enough. Maybe the race is over. Maybe I don't have to do it again. But as we get closer, this lie creeps in. Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I've done enough. I'm not sure I've run enough laps. Just one more lap. Just one more lap around the, the race. Just one more lap around the track. Just one more upgrade. One more day of work. One more weekend. One more project. One more season. One more side hustle. One more thing to do. One more post. One more tax. Just one more. I'm not sure I have enough. What if it's not enough? Just one more. Around and around and around the track we go. So let me ask you a question. What is, what is the one thing keeping you from stopping that race? What is the one thing keeping you from contentment, satisfaction, joy? Here's another way to ask it. I'll be happy when blank. Go ahead and fill in that blank in your notes or in your mind. I'll be happy when, and, and be, be honest this morning. Don't give the churchy answer on a churchy day in a churchy place because that's just what we do. Instead, be brutally honest with yourself. I'll be happy when I'm healed. I'll be happy when I'm promoted. I'll be happy when I'm the boss. I'll be happy when I have kids. I'll be happy when I'm married. I'll be happy when I make X amount of money. I'll be happy when I live in this house. I'll be happy when I drive this car. I'll, I'll be happy when what? How would you finish that statement? Be brutally honest. And with that brutally honest answer in your mind, let me ask you another question. What if it never happens? What if you never get the thing that you put in the blank? Your circumstance never changes. Your dream never comes true. Maybe you're unsure. Like, well, I don't know what would happen. Or maybe you say, Oh, I'd be fine without that as long as I had fill in the blank. If you're unsure or you're just swapping out what you had in the blank, then you know that you're on this never-ending race around the track trying to fill your life with something so that you can find satisfaction, passing the finish line over and over and over and over. And really, it comes down to this. Here's what most of us Here's where most of us are at. I'll be happy when I have enough. It's this kind of nebulous thing. We never really get there, right? I'll be happy when I have enough, enough time, enough people, enough love, enough money, enough influence, enough. It's this open-ended thing that we never really attain. We never really get there. I mean, we're on this perpetual state, in this perpetual state of one, scared that we won't have enough. Because we just keep moving the goalposts, changing the thing that we need in order to be satisfied. I'm sure you've experienced this before like I have, but 
When I was in college, I thought as soon as I graduate, I'll be content. And then when I was in an apartment, when I was first married, I thought when I own my own house, I'll be content. And when I was a missionary in China, I thought when I, when I get the language down, I'll be content. And, and even now, like I was a lead pastor before coming here last year. For seven years, I was a lead pastor. And I really think I should still be a lead pastor, but it was out of my control. And here I am, and I'm very happy and very fulfilled. And yet I'm still thinking God wants me to do that thing. I'm still trying to fill in the blank. I'm still striving. I'm still on this race that never ends. It's never enough. It's exhausting. I mean, is this what God wants for us? Is this what Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again to provide? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. One time Jesus was talking about this very thing because this is not a new problem. It's been happening for a while. Luke chapter 12, we're not the first people to have this fear of lack. But Jesus had just told, we're going to read a passage. And just before this, Jesus told this parable about this rich fool who, driven by this fear of lack and not having enough, amassed this great fortune and put it in barns. And then he said, you know what, I'm just going to kick back and relax. And the day he said that, he died. And he was faced with this fact that he had just invested his whole life in what turned out to be basically monopoly money. I mean, it was worthless. He was like you and me, driven by a fear of lack, hoarding, 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 trying to satisfy himself, get enough for himself. And he found out it was nothing. It added up to nothing. Whew, it's scary, right? Terrifying even, at least heartbreaking. Read it this week. But when Jesus finishes that parable, he just kind of leaves it there. He does this like mic drop thing and he just leaves it for the crowd to figure out. He just throws this parable out there. Then he turns to his disciples, the people who are on his team, supposed to be in the know, the guys in the know. And he, he says this to them and to you and me, starting in verse 22 of Luke 12. And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. In a parallel passage in Matthew, the NLT actually has that this way. It says, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough. Don't worry whether you have enough. God, Jesus is going, you don't need to worry. You don't need to be like this rich fool I just told the story about. Always worrying about having enough because God is going to give you enough. But he's not saying don't prepare. Jesus is not saying, you know, that we shouldn't plan, look ahead, budget. But he is saying that we should get rid of this destructive fear of lack that would subtract God from the equation of the future. Because the thing is, guys, we can't, we can't fix this on our own. Like, we can't just say, I shall not want, I shall not want, I shall not want three times, and, and we're good to go. Like, that's not the way this works. We can't, we can't fix this in our own power by positive thinking or whatever. We can't do it. And yet, that's how we usually respond to this problem, right? We just double down. We just go, well, I'm just going to work harder. I'm just going to get more. There's got to be a time when I'll, when I'll have enough. I'm just going to amass more and hoard more and get more and move faster so that I can get more stuff. And then it'll be enough. And listen, it's that moment when we decide 
to step on that track and start running that never-ending race without God. When we decide to go apart from God and try to gather as much as we can to satisfy ourselves, it's that moment, that decision that leads to where most of us are right now. Exhausted. Worried. Anxious. And after all of our effort and all the stuff we've gathered, still scared. The other day, my, um, my daughter was getting her shoes on so that we could leave. I don't know how it works in your house, but probably a lot better than my house because of your great leadership. But anyways, in my house, it's a thing getting everybody ready to leave the house. Like it's a thing. We have to really plan to get everybody out the door at the right time. And so we'll start early. Like we'll start an hour early. We're leaving in an hour. Okay, we're leaving in 30 minutes. We're leaving in 10 minutes. We left you. I mean, that's kind of how we do it. And so we're always kind of, you know, trying to get them. We kind of intense, like, let's get ready. Let's go, you know. And then that never fails that when we leave and it's time to leave, they're shocked. Some of my kids are shocked that we were going anywhere. They're like, what? We're leaving? Where are we going? I'm like, oh my gosh. I've been telling you this for an hour. That one can't find their shoes. That one's dressed for summer when it's 20 degrees outside because she's in junior high. And that one over there is in the bathroom. They're always in the bathroom when we try to leave. So it's a thing in my house, trying to get everybody going and moving and out the door at the right time. And it seems like we're always waiting on number six because she's the youngest and she, you know, like, she doesn't want anybody to help her. She doesn't need your help. She's a big girl now. She can do her own stuff, right? Like, and so she's, and also the biggest problem is that she's very, number six, she's very, like, particular about what she wears. And, and specifically the shoes that go with what she wears. And so don't hate, all right? She got style. She got style. She's got some kindergarten people. She's got a reputation she's got to uphold. You know what I'm saying? And so you don't hate on it. You just let it happen. And so she's always kind of particular about that. And she's picking out her clothes, you know, days ahead of time. And she's trying to find the shoes when we're trying to leave. And, and so it's always, it never fails. That's what's happening. And so the other day, I came back in, you know, because we were going. And we went out. And one, two, three, four. We're missing one. I went back in. And and I, sure enough, it was her, and I found her on the floor, and she had she'd for sure, you know, gotten into this whole picking out shoes thing, and it had taken a long time. And I found her on the floor, like, trying to tie her shoes, and she was feeling the pressure, you know. She was trying to go, and she knew she was late. She knew Dad was going to get mad, and she's, like, trying to tie her shoes, and she just kept tying knots, and she just was having problems. And I just stood to the side, and I watched, like, her anxiety level just build and build and build and build until finally she just dropped her shoulders, her head fell, and she just cried. Yeah. Oh, thank you. She was overwhelmed. She just felt overwhelmed. She couldn't get it done trying to do it herself. She just felt overwhelmed. Have you ever felt that way? Probably not about tying your shoes. But maybe it was about getting the store ready to open or making all the numbers line up to pay all the bills on time or try and get all the kids to seven different places at the exact same time. Maybe it was trying to figure out what am I going to do with my aging parents? Their health is declining. How am I going to 
figure this out. Have you ever, have you ever been there? Hannah, my daughter, was trying to do it herself, and she just got overwhelmed. Psalm 23, that you've heard before a thousand times, it doesn't end with, I shall not want. Check it out. Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Does that sound like your reality? Like, are you feeling Psalm 23 in your life? No striving, no discontent, just green pastures, plenty of what I need. Still waters, peaceful. Are the waters of your soul still? Or are they rather in constant turmoil? Crashing waves, never a night without a storm on those waters. I mean, are you experiencing Psalm 23 too? I mean, notice who's doing the work here. Notice the equation. We oftentimes take God out of the equation and it leads to this cyclical fear of lack, this destructive fear of lack, this race that never ends. But King David in Psalm 23, he's telling us a different way. He's showing us a different way. I mean, God's not only in the equation, he's at the center of it. He's driving it. Look at it. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Not I lie down in green pastures, but he makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. Not I walk beside still waters, but he leads me. I mean, the shepherd is in charge. The shepherd chooses the path for the sheep. The shepherd is the one leading the way. Your job, my job, the sheep's job is just to follow the shepherd. Just do what he says and go where he leads. My daughter was crying because... She couldn't get her shoes tied and her anxiety was just building and building and building. and So much so that she didn't notice her daddy standing next to her. Able and willing to help. And so I sent her without her shoes because she's got to learn, right? Just kidding. <laughs> I didn't do that. She was crying and I just said, and I sighed. I smiled at her. It's okay, baby. Don't cry. Daddy's got this. I picked her up. I tied her shoes. And I carried her to the car. Sack of potatoes style. Because <laughs> that's the way we do. How's your anxiety level lately I mean are you worried about getting enough are you tired man running around that track over and over and over passing the finish line never stopping you must be tired sometimes I feel so tired but maybe maybe we just got to look at the shepherd Maybe if we put our eyes on him and did what he told us to do, maybe we could finally rest. Maybe we could finally get some sleep. Maybe we wouldn't have to worry. I'm reminded of Isaiah 26.3. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because 
he trusts in you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Perfect peace because I trust him. So here's where the rubber meets the road today. Do you trust God to provide enough for you? I'm not asking if you trust God to provide enough for the world or to take care of the world or to provide enough for humanity. I'm not asking that. I'm asking, do you trust God to provide enough for you, for your family? Do you trust God to give you everything you need? Because if we did trust God to give us what we need and to give us enough, then we wouldn't be running that never-ending race and we probably would have answered that first question about what we need to be happy a little differently, right? I mean, I think when it comes down to it and we're not giving the churchy answer on a churchy day in a churchy place, we struggle to believe that God really wants to provide for us, to trust him, to give enough to us for our family. I mean, we're taught that God's hands are open to us, but we live as if they are closed. At best, he reluctantly, maybe begrudgingly gives us things if we ask enough times. That's why we try to bargain with him. I mean, he couldn't possibly give us what we need for nothing. Have you ever offered something to God for him to give you what you need? It's bargaining with God. Like, God, if you do this for me, I'll serve you. God, if you, if you take care of this problem, I'll start going to church again. I'll do whatever you want. God, if you, if you just take care of my muffin tops and put some hair on this bald head, I would serve you forever. I'll serve in the nursery if you did that. I mean, we got 500 women at release retreat. They're all praying. The married ones are praying, going, God, please make my husband like doing laundry and dishes, and I will serve you for I'll go all in, God. You know, that kind of thing. It's bargaining with God. God, if you heal my mom, I'll read my Bible every day. If you give me the promotion, I'll start tithing. If you find me a man and help me get married, I'll never drink again. Have you ever bargained with God? It's proof that we don't actually believe that he wants to give us what we need, that he wants to give us good things that he has the best in mind for us. In Luke 12, the disciples were in the same place. Look back there. Luke 12, we're going to look at verse 32 in a minute. Same passage as earlier. Jesus is telling his disciples and you and me not to worry about getting enough, making enough, finding enough, having enough for you and your family. Don't worry about that. And if you've been in church long or been following Christ long, you may have read this whole passage. It's the one where Jesus talks about the birds and the lilies. And he says, you know, the birds don't have to gather food. And yet God, your father, he, he, he provides food for them. And then the lilies, they're beautiful, but they don't have to worry about what they're going to wear because God provides that. And he goes, well, you know, how much more valuable are you than birds and flowers, right? And then I imagine... Jesus, he just kind of pauses for a minute. And he looks at his disciples and 
he sees how fearful they are. When they're consumed by this fear of lack, this fear that they're not going to have enough. They're like you and me. Like they're scared they're not going to be taken care of. They're hurried and harried and stressed out and freaking out. And, and I imagine Jesus' heart is just broken for them. And he sees their fear and he just kind of sighs. And he smiles. Kind of like a dad. Sighing and smiling at his daughter who can't tie her shoes fast enough. And then he says this, verse 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do you hear what he's saying? Fear not, little flock. In other words, it's okay, baby, don't cry. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And in other words, daddy's got this. You don't have to worry about this. I mean, what does this mean for us? It's huge. It means God isn't holding out on you. Neither is he giving out of obligation. Your father loves to provide all you need. Providing for you brings him joy. Do you believe that? Providing for you brings him joy joy. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. King David wrote that. He was in Judea. I don't know what you know about Judea, but you think Abilene is dry. Judea was like Odessa. Have you ever been to Odessa? It's very dry there. It's like the desert. I don't know how you made it out, but congratulations, you made it back. You think Abilene's dry, man. Judea was much drier. So when you're talking about a shepherd leading sheep to green pastures, there's not a lot of naturally occurring green pastures in the desert of Judea. And so we're talking about a shepherd preparing some green pastures, maybe moving rocks out of the way so grass can grow, maybe trying to figure out irrigation or something like that. I mean, he's not just leading the sheep to green pastures. He's leading the sheep to green pastors that he has already prepared for them ahead of time. Beloved, God's not holding out on you. He is lovingly going the extra mile to provide all that you need. All you have to do, all I have to do is lie down. Just lie down in his finished work. He's already done it. I mean, provider is one of God's names, right? Genesis 22, Jehovah Jireh literally means God will provide. His name is God will provide. And so far we've been talking about physical provision, like I shall not want for money, I shall not want for clothing or food. But man, your biggest problem isn't physical. I mean, your biggest problem isn't what we generally worry about, tasks and a busy life and finances and, and relational strife. I mean, it's not really all that stuff. That's not our biggest problem. Our greatest lack isn't physical, it's spiritual. Our greatest problem is that you and I were born on the wrong side of a war. You and I were born fighting against God and his goodness. Colossians 1 says that you're not citizens of heaven when you were born. You're citizens of the enemy's domain. Fighting against God. Willfully fighting against God. We're the rebels fighting against the good 
and just king. And because of that, we're headed to hell. It's the right and just punishment for somebody who tries to usurp the king. And there's no way out. There's no way to change your citizenship. There's no way to change my citizenship. There's no way out of this problem. I mean, you can start trying to act like the ones who are on the other side of the battlefield. You can wear their uniforms and you can say what they say, but they're not going to let you in. You're not going to get in. You can't get in. There's no way to change this. No way to get to the other side, man. Let's... Let's forget our bills for just a second. Forget where you got to take the kids after service. Forget the problem at your workplace. Your greatest lack isn't physical, it's spiritual. You're a sheep, I'm a sheep. And neither of us can create green pastures and still waters for our souls. We need a shepherd. I mean, we need a way out. We need a shepherd to provide a way from here fighting against the king to there fighting for the king. We need somebody to help us, a way to get out of the desert and off the path to hell and instead on a path that gets to green pastures and still waters. We need a shepherd. You and I were born with this great need, this great lack, and it should cause us to fear a little. I mean, it should give us some godly fear. Godly sorrow, the Bible calls it. It should cause us to like, try to seek a way out and figure out somebody to help us and kind of feel our way towards God and hopefully find the shepherd. That's what Acts 17 says. Beloved, let me be very clear. The shepherd is Jesus. The way out is Jesus. It's only Jesus. He's the only one that can get you out. He's the only one that can get you from here to there. Like when King David says that the shepherd provides these green pastures, that he makes him lie down in them and he leads them beside him beside still waters. He's saying that the shepherd is inviting him to lie down to rest in his finished work. It's already done. He doesn't need the sheep's help. It's already done. It's finished. And then Jesus is hanging on the cross, and with his last breath, he says, it is finished. Not almost made it. Not, I ran the first leg, you guys better run fast. Not almost. No, with his last breath on the cross, dying for you and me, he goes, it is finished. I don't need anybody's help. It's completely done. More than the shepherds in Judea, Jesus with pierced hands is clearing out rocks to provide a pasture, a green pasture for your soul. He's digging ponds that still waters will fill. He's seeding the earth so that there's good green grass for your soul. And then guess what? He look, he's looking at you and me. Rebels fighting against him, freaking out because we can't fill the void that we were born into, crumbling under the pressure, crying. He's looking at you and me and he's going, come here, come here. It's okay, baby, don't cry. Daddy's got this. 
come here, it's already done. It's already, fear not, little flock. You don't have to fear here because I've already provided everything you need. Come lie down in my finished work. Just stop running around the track and come lie down. Just rest. I mean, the cross of Christ turned our greatest lack into our greatest blessing. And listen, if we can get a hold of this, if we can let it sink deep into our souls, then it will provide some peace and a lot of peace in our lives. It'll change the way we live. It'll change the way we think. It'll change the way we worry. If I can believe that because of the cross, what I have in God is greater than what I have in life, it'll change everything. Another way to say this is, the cross is enough. I mean, I, I think God's going to give you a lot of great things, so don't hear what I'm not saying, but the cross is enough. If he never gives you any other good thing, if the rest of your life is horrible and you're on the street and you're sick and you can't get better, if you never get another good thing in your life, if I never get to hug my kids, if I never get to eat a morsel of good food or sip great wine, if I never get to do those things, the cross is enough. Because of the cross, what I have in God is greater than what I have in life. And if you're struggling to believe that today, maybe it's because you haven't fully surrendered your life to Jesus yet. To the shepherd who's trying to lead you to green pastures and still waters. Because we got to look at him, we got to listen to him, we got to follow him. The shepherd isn't going to force it. He's a good shepherd. He's not going to force you. So let's look at that first question, first blank I talked to you about. Again, I'll be happy when... Blank. The only right answer for that is I will be happy when I trust God to provide. I'll be happy when I trust God to provide. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Do this with me again. Take in a deep breath. Let it out slowly. Because God is my shepherd, I shall not want. Repeat after me again. I shall not want. Jesus, we need your help. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill this place, our hearts, our minds, like we said earlier, man, I want, I want to not want so bad, but I can't manufacture it on my own. So Holy Spirit, we're asking for you to bridge this gap. For you to turn our heads and our eyes towards the shepherd, the good shepherd. For you to turn our focus off of ourselves, like digging deep within ourselves to find willpower and ability and skill and gumption to to do something and change something, that you would turn our focus off of that and, and that you would turn our focus onto you, to follow you, to listen to you, to lie down in your finished work to be secure there. As we continue in an attitude of prayer with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to 
offer you a moment of response. And it's a pretty easy one because heads are bowed and eyes are closed and nobody's looking around. But I just want to give you a, a moment just to say, man, I've been struggling with this fear of lack thing, this fear of not having enough. And today I want to lay that down at Jesus' feet. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to help me trust the shepherd, that Isaiah passage that if our mind is stayed on him, then he gives us peace because we trust in him. I, if that's you and you're going, man, I want that. I, I, I'm not really there. And I, I want to lay down this fear of lack. And I want to move closer to this, this trust. I want to leave here a little different than I came in, a little closer to the shepherd and trusting him to provide. If that's you, I, I just want to pray for you and give you a second to respond. So would you just lift your hand for me? Yeah, I see those hands. Yeah, hands going up all over. Let me just hold your hand up. Keep it up. Lord, I pray for those who have their hands raised who would say, yeah, man, I don't have this figured out and I need the Spirit's help in this. I need God to unclench my fists off the things of this world, trying to get enough. And instead to trust that his hands are open to provide. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you right now, just in the name of Jesus, just change this in our hearts. Give us new revelation to rest, to lie down in your green pastures. I'm praying for a supernatural work. And those who would say, I don't want this fear of lack. In Jesus' name, we're praying that it goes. And that instead it's replaced by this trust in you. You can put your hands down. As we continue in, a, in an attitude of prayer, just for a moment longer, I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't offer you a chance to, to make a decision for Jesus today. We talked about Jesus hanging on the cross, dying for you and for me and saying, it is finished. And, and that's, where, that's where the foundation of this whole thing is, is trusting in the cross, that the cross is enough. And you're going, man, I don't, I don't have that kind of trust because I have yet to give my life over to this Jesus. I haven't fully said I'm going to follow the shepherd. I haven't fully surrendered my life over to him. But right now, the Holy Spirit is drawing you in, drawing you to him, drawing you to a decision, a moment in your life that's going to change all moments from this, this day forward. If that's you and you'd say, man, I want to give my life over to Jesus completely. I'm honest enough to say I have not done that. And I, I want to follow the shepherd. I want the good shepherd in my life. I'm running around in circles on this track. I don't want to do that anymore. I want Jesus. If that's you, whether you're online campus, north campus, south campus, I want to give you a chance to, to respond. If you want to give your life over to Jesus, let me pray for you. Just raise your hand so I can pray for you. Yeah, I see that hand. Anyone else? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep, I see those in the back over there. Let me just hold your hand up. Let me just pray. Jesus, I pray that you would protect the seed that was planted today, that this would be a life-changing moment in these people's lives, that angels are rejoicing in heaven because of what just happened 
five seconds ago as they raised their hand and said, I want Jesus. I pray, God, that they move from this place, not towards independence, but towards dependence on you and your spirit, that they lay down all fear of lack and this idea that they have to figure it out themselves, and instead they lie down in your green pastures. They trust you. God, I think about how you said, you know, there's different kinds of soils and different kinds of hearts, and I just pray that this is good soil, that these hearts are full of good soil, that this seed of your gospel goes there. It's planted deep. It takes root. It bears fruit. I pray that they, right now, right at the end of this service, that they get prayer, that they tell somebody the decision they've made, that they get baptized. I pray, God, for next steps. And I thank you for saving souls. We need you, God. We need you. It's in your name that we pray. Everybody said? Amen.